Good morning, church. And those songs, they are, gosh, they always get me. It's been a, it's been a good week. It's been a bittersweet week. A lot going on. Uh, we're here, though. <laughs> Amen. We're here. Uh, the beginning of December. You know, we we're talking. The men we we're talking about on Thursday night. It's like, uh, you know, yeah, we, uh, we 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 celebrate and we we live like this all year long. But there's something very special to the heart of every believer in Christ come around this time uh, because it's, uh, you know, the birth of of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I was encouraged this morning. It's like um, I heard a great message and the pastor said, you can give without love, <laughs> meaning sometimes we do things begrudgingly, <laughs> like we're like, ah. We got a bad heart about it. And Jesus talks all about that, having the right intention, having the right heart in everything we do. But this is the caveat. You cannot love without giving. You can't love without giving. And I'm not necessarily talking about anything monetarily, but in every sense of what love truly is. Love is an action word when you and I give of ourselves. Better yet, let's take God for an example. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son, his only begotten son. He gave. And, 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 and as I heard this message this morning, I, you know, I, I love listening to messages when I get ready in the morning. I'll listen to the same message like five or six times. Just compounded in my head. I'm shaving, doing whatever I'm doing. You're like, man, you guys, you take a long time to shave. <laughs> But, you know, the whole point is it just it really spoke to my heart that that's what it's about. And, and, and you look at, uh, you know, me and Daniel were talking about you know, this morning in prayer. You look at, uh, you know, there's three train of thoughts when it comes to uh, the baby Jesus. Right. Herod got word of Jesus coming into the world. And what did what did Herod do? He responded with King of the Jews. Let me find out about this king of the Jews so I can destroy him, so I can annihilate him. He is a threat to my position and my stature as the king of Jerusalem. And you see that same line of thought in the world today. You know, Christmas season is upon us and, and, and there's people in the world that want to get rid of Christ. But praise God that the gates of hell will not, they, they, they will not take over. You can't take Christ out of Christmas. He is the epitome of what Christmas is, right? It's not about us giving gifts. That's, that's, that's a one-off. But it's the gift that's been given to us. Redemption, salvation, all wrapped up in the personhood of Jesus Christ. And then you have the train of thought of the religious leaders. They were indifferent. They wanted to more or less see which way the, the wind swayed. They, they didn't know. They're like, oh, well, okay. It's prophesied, but is it him? Could anything good come from Bethlehem? And then you had uh, the three wise men or those who, 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 who studied the stars. And when they saw that star in the sky, they knew that the Son of God had been born. But this was what got me. And I don't know how I, didn't look, I looked over this for years. But did they come to, to, to the manger? Did they come to baby Jesus empty-handed? No. They came with... Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, some of the most expensive, valuable material goods you could ever have in that time of day. And they're still coveted to this day. So much so that people are trading in their 403Bs for bars of gold. <laughs> because <laughs> when it all goes down, that gold's still going to be worth some. It's going to buy you a loaf of bread. <laughs> Hopefully, Lord willing, we're not here when that happens. We'll be raptured. But the whole point is this. They didn't come with the table scraps. They didn't come with the re-gifting. They didn't come with the leftovers. They gave the best of the best to the Lord. They came to worship him in that way. And God cares so much about how we come to him, church. It's not just monetarily. You know, again, we were talking about this before prayer, but that whole pie, that whole 10 percent, that's that's not biblical. The, it's really, if you want to get down to it, it's really 23.1% is what they gave. You know, being religious about it. But it's not about that. Even if we do give 10%, and God, God knows, 
what we can give and we can't give. And this is not a sermon about your financial giving. I could care less about that. The whole point is God cares about every part of our lives. We're talking again about it. You know, some of the old great singers of yesteryear were raised up in the church. And for some reason or whatever, some of them crossed over into the secular world. Do you know that the Lord cares about what you do with the gifts that he's given you as well? It's not just about finances. It's about every single part of your being and my being. Are we using our lives as a gift offering, as a love offering to God? That's something that we need to, to ask ourselves. And, you know, I, I, this preparing for this message this week, I don't know if it's just where I'm at in my life personally or, you know, things that are going on. But I, I was just so convicted. <laughs> I was just so convicted. This was such a hard heavy message to prepare for. But I'm so grateful that the Lord chastens those he loves. I'm so glad that that God doesn't just leave us to be like, yeah, you're you're you, you need to grow in this area, but I'm going to just leave you by yourself and you're going to figure it out. No, he he comes through and and and, and he he has a way of of correcting us and pointing us in the right direction and and, and a way of convicting us without fully breaking our will, right? I think that's the difference between when God says the, the wrath of man will never produce the righteousness of God. You know, and I'm challenged with this every day when, I, when I'm having to discipline my children. I'm trying to find, led by the Holy Spirit, that balance of, 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 of stern, biblical, godly disciplined correction without breaking their will because you know our words can break someone's will and sometimes unfortunately that happens whether it's within the church whether it's out in the world but the way you know what does the bible say small rudder is the tongue but the tongue can destroy the tongue decapitates people you know we can cut but we can also build up in love and so as, as, again, as I, as, I, as I stated before, preparing for this message, it was very heavy. But I, I but truly believe that, that there's a lot for you to glean from, from God's word this morning. And I pray that his word would edify you and build you up and even convict you and even challenge you to give everything over to the Lord and to reflect on where you're at and where he wants you to go. And my prayer is that we would align ourselves with his will and be obedient to whatever it is he's calling us to do. Amen? All right, with that, um, we are in Haggai chapter 1. Uh, this is a, a two-part. This is the second part. I was supposed to finish it last week, but obviously didn't run off like that. We don't run a southern church, so we don't go for hours on end. I had to, I had, <laughs> I had to get off my soapbox and kind of you know, ref refrain from going longer than, than I intended. In any event, we're in Haggai chapter 1. We'll be finishing up uh, this chapter. We'll be in verses 7 down through 15. And uh, this is simply entitled, The Command to Rebuild the Temple, Part 2. Um, when you get there, if you can, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Go ahead and pray after, and then we'll get into our message this morning. Starting in verse 7. And it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its product. And I have called for a drought on the land, and on the hills, and on the grain, and the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of his people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, in the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God has sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit 
of Zerubbabel, the son of Shelatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you that you, you encourage us by saying you're with us. You're with us. Your Holy Spirit will never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Father, as we look to do our own rebuilding, Lord, in our own lives within your church, Father, help us, Lord, to hear clearly what you are speaking to us. And if there be anything that is hindering the work in our lives for your church, Lord, may you may you buffet us and, 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 and rebuke us and convict us so that we can be made right in your sight, so that we can be cleansed, so that we can go forth with the work that you have set forth for us. Father, we need you and we thank you and we love you. We praise you. It's in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. All right. So last week, we covered part one of this message that the Lord had for his people. Today, we will wrap up this chapter, chapter one of the book of Haggai. We learned, uh, this is one major thing that we learned last week. The Lord's timing <laughs> is not at all like mine and yours. His timing for things and our timing, they can be just worlds apart, way off. But if we learn to live in obedience before Jesus Christ, you and I will be better positioned to discern his timing for the things that we are supposed to do. Meaning, if we're just walking in closer fellowship with him, you know, we're, we're going to be a little bit more aware to, to, to be able to figure out and discern, okay, yes, because we're going to hear clearly. We're going to hear that still small voice speaking to us through his word, and then we're going to get it, right? The Bible says that his people, God's people perish for what? Lack of vision. God's people perish for lack of vision, right? The church is not going to do good if the church doesn't have a vision, how can the church have a vision if, starting with the pastor, the pastor is not seeking the Lord? How is the church going to have a vision if the church members aren't seeking the Lord? The body of Christ. We're all a body of Christ. I'm, not, I'm no greater, less than you. We're all the same in this, right? We all need to be on the same page. We all need to be seeking the Lord on a daily basis. That way, we hear from Him clearly. That way, He gives us vision. That way, we understand the direction. The direction gets confirmation through us coming together with one another, right? That's how it works. And then we move. But if we're not doing those things, then we don't have vision. Then we don't hear clearly from the Lord. Then any unclean spirit can come in, and then we're all messed up. People wonder why. They, they don't know what to do. <laughs> it's because we're more than likely not putting in the time in the relationship with Jesus Christ that we need to. Because when we put in that time and we put in that effort, which we have to do, we're not saved by works. We're saved for good works. Just reading and studying your Bible, that's a good work. <laughs> because you could be edifying yourself with, uh, what is it, Casey Rolls, Harry Potter, and all that nonsense. I'm just saying. <laughs> just putting it out there. Anything. Whatever. You know, you could be listening to Oprah. And if you're edifying your soul with Oprah, I guarantee you, you're not getting what you really, truly need. You could be edifying yourself with ESPN Sports. That's not what you truly need. There's no, nothing wrong with enjoying some of those things. But what I'm saying is if we're not putting in the ample time in our relationship with Jesus Christ, then we're not positioning ourselves to discern clearly and to hear from him. We learned about that last week. We were also reminded that we must consider our ways in all that we do. Considering our ways is in, 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 in the Jewish times, it was meant as consider what road you're on. What road are you walking upon? Where are you headed? And God repeatedly is telling the remnant of Jerusalem, uh, the Jewish remnant, consider what road you're on. You guys are building all your houses and you're, and you're, making, you're making your personal uh, your personal things so great, but yet, speaking of God, his house is laying in ruins. The temple was laying in ruins. He's saying, consider your ways, the road you're on. That's not a good road. Remember, Solomon, 
wisest man that ever lived, God gave him wisdom to where Solomon said, I'm basically going to build your temple before I build a house for myself. Before I build a palace for myself, I'm going to build a temple, a house for the true and living God. And that was in direct contrast to what the remnant was doing at this time we're in in our context. So we learned about that, considering our ways. When we reflect upon what we are doing and how we are living, we will become more aware of when we are living in obedience to the Lord and when we are not, right? Sometimes people don't want to reflect. Maybe it's because of shame. Maybe it's because of guilt. Maybe it's because of hurt. But that's something that we all as followers of Christ have to mature in and become better at and be willing to look back and, and see, oh, okay, maybe I was off in those areas. Lord, help me, correct me. Or we look back and we say, oh, you know, I, I, you know, Lord, you helped me through your power, through your confidence, through your might, through your love, your strength, your wisdom. You allowed me to do good in those areas. And then it's not like pat yourself on the back at a boys, but it's you're able to see you should be okay with that. I should be okay with that. There, there, that's a big red flag if we're unwilling to look back and reflect. How can you and I mature as true believers in Christ if we're unwilling to reflect? Reflection is a good thing. I think this is a very important in marriages. I think this is very important in families. Taking those times, there's going to be key moments where you as a family are going to come together. You're going to reflect. And, and it's going to be bittersweet because there's probably going to be a lot of things you don't want to see. <laughs> there's dysfunction in every family, but it's good. Not the dysfunction, but the reflecting because we're able to grow from it, right? If we're unwilling to open up and say, this is where I was and this is where I want to be. How is anybody going to know to come along you and support you in that matter if nobody knows, right? And us as a church, I have to be willing to say, hey, I'm failing in these areas, I need your prayers in these areas, you know, and this is just the reality. Anyone who says that that's not true, it's like the Bible says, anyone who says they are without sin, that the truth is not in them. <laughs> and they're a liar. You know, we don't come here looking for perfection in a man. <laughs> we come here looking for perfection in Jesus Christ. And many times it's the conviction that comes in upon us from the Holy Spirit that gives us that ability to be recalibrated and corrected. So again, please don't despise conviction. If you ever sense conviction or when you sense conviction, that is a beautiful thing because it shows that you're a child of His because He only corrects those He loves. If we submit to His will, we will be satisfied in all we do. But if we decide to do our own thing, we'll never be content. <laughs> and uh, you know that, that's just something that we just really need to learn. We really need to put this into practice. If we submit to him, we're going to find contentment in Christ, in the things of Christ, in the things that he has laid out for us. But if we try to go our own way, I mean, you know, we can do everything and we can accomplish everything on our little list, but we'll still be left empty. All right, we have several main points. And the first one is this. The Lord will never leave us without instruction in all the things he shows us. In all the things he shows us the way to go, but we must respond to his directions. So he'll never leave us without instruction. Never. He'll always show us the way to go, but we must be willing to respond to the direction that God gives to you and I. This is exactly what the holy counsel of God the Almighty is. His counsel is instruction. His whole counsel is correction. You see, whether you and I choose to accept it or recognize it or identify with it, we are wayward in everything we do. <laughs> everything. I, I, I saw, you know, I, I really enjoy, um, you know, reading the verse of the day. Uh, early in the morning, and uh, Tim Tebow was on. They do a little video on the Bible app. I can't remember what day. If you guys do that, you probably remember. It was like Thursday or something, but he was talking about, you know, we don't have much to brag about. And I, 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 I watched that again and I, as I was, like, sitting in my car before I went to work, and, and it just brought me to tears because... I look at my own life and I look at, you know, the personal things, endeavors that I enjoy doing, you know, things I like spending time on. 
and it just hit it hit home so hard. It's like I, I I don't I don't have anything to brag about. Like the stuff I do, like even though I, even in my mind I think it's like oh that's good. It's like it's not that good. It's not that great. It's what Christ has done. And the whole point is boast in him, boast in the goodness of Jesus Christ and what God has done for you and I. Don't boast in yourself and in your accomplishments. And it's just it's just such a mighty thing. It's such a real thing. I point that out because, again, this is encompassing the whole counsel of God and the whole counsel of God is correction for him to tell us, don't boast in yourself, boast in me. Speaking of Jesus Christ, that's correction. Because what do we tend to do? We boast in ourselves. We boast in what we, I've accomplished this. Or do you see what I put up? Do you see the house that I built? Do you see, uh, you know, do you see the company that I manage? You know, we have to understand that it's, it's, it's only by God's grace that he allows us to do anything of any significance, of any good, and it's all glory to him. So the counsel of God is all about correction, directions for his people so we know what to do and we know what not to do, what to stay away from. All of scripture is this. We all know the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. What? Basic instructions before leaving earth. I love that acronym. Basic instructions before leaving earth. This is what you must know. If you're wise, this is what you must do before you die. Because <laughs> there is no re-overs. There is no do-overs. You're not going to come back as a monarch butterfly. You're not going to come back as a kimono dragon. You're not going to come back as a cockroach. <laughs> You're not going to come back as some other person in the, in, in the early 1800s living in the Himalayas. It's not, it's not popping off like that. You got a one shot at this thing. Whether you're young or old, you got one shot. I got one shot. Basic instructions before leaving earth. The most important thing that we need to grasp is who is Jesus Christ to us and do we accept him as God and as Savior and as Lord of our lives? You see, there is nowhere throughout the pages of Scripture where the Lord of hosts has not given crystal clear instructions to his people. You can go from all the way in the beginning to all the way in the end. We just did all the way in the end. It's a whole lot of instruction. <laughs> it's a whole lot of do this, don't do this. It's a whole lot of, I'll just sum it up in, return to your first love. Return to your first love. Church, return to your first love. It's correction. It's direction. I mean, from Genesis, he gives clear, precise instructions early on. Eat freely of the garden, <laughs> except don't eat from this one tree. Don't eat from that tree. You eat from that tree, you're going to die physically and spiritually. Noah, the construction of the ark. I mean, he gave, he gave exact directions. The neighbors and the world thought he was crazy because they hadn't seen rain at that time in history. But he said, build this ark, construct it in this manner, do this, <laughs> sacrifice to me, honor the Lord. Things are going to go well for you. Think about every instruction God gave to Moses concerning Pharaoh. He's like, I, I got a stuttering problem. Let my brother Aaron talk for me. He's like, man, take this staff. <laughs> Just take this stick. I'm going to show you the supernatural work that I can do through this stick. Go to Pharaoh. Tell him, let my people go. God gave Moses clear instruction right here. What is this? The Ten Commandments, right? Nothing but instruction telling us what to do. And it's not given because he's some ruthful God. It's for our, our, our security. It's for our safety. It's for our benefit. It's for our enjoyment. Life is so much more enjoyable and better when you follow the rules of God. When you go against the rules of God, you suffer. You suffer. People around you suffer. There's nothing good about going against God's way. The list goes on and on. In our text this morning, it's no different. The Lord instructs the remnant of Israel on what they must do. <laughs> he says, go to the hills, gather the wood, <laughs> and build my house. This is what he's telling the remnant to do. The instructions could not have been any clearer. 
He makes it clear. He gets down on our level. Jesus, Jesus was, was the, the perfect one at this. He used every analogy that the common lay person would understand back in the day in that culture. From the old wineskins to new wineskins, all the different analogies he used, the people got it. Reaping and sowing. I mean, they were people of the fields. They had to till the ground. They would understand these things. And Jesus broke it down so clear that a child could understand it. The problem for all of us lies in, do we truly listen to God when he is instructing us on what we are to do? You see, that is the key. He's always speaking. But are you and I listening? Do we have our spiritual antennas up to hear what's going on with what the Lord is showing us? Or are we, are we too concerned with what's going on in Qatar? And by the way, uh, we got knocked out yesterday by the Netherlands. So the United States is done from the World Cup this year. You know, but it's real. I'm just keeping it real. Are we so consumed with what's going on on Black Friday or Cyber Monday? Or what we're try- how we're trying to set our house up for Christmas and this, that, and knick-knack and whatever. Paddywhack, give a dog a bone. We're doing all this other stuff, <laughs> right? That we, we're, not, we're not in tune to what the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to us. But if you are, praise God. I praise God if you are a, 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 a mature believer that is aware of what the Lord is showing you around the clock. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm not saying anyone in this room is perfect. What I'm saying is, praise God if you're someone who is on par with what the Lord is trying to show you on a daily basis. That's a good thing. That's a very good thing. But that takes what? Effort on your part and my part. It takes effort to be in the word, to be in prayer, to hear from God, to speak to the Lord, to recognize his voice from a demonic voice to your own voice. Because there's all kind of voices that are chattering and talking. I don't know. You can ask some doctor or some scientist. We have a lot of thoughts per day. I don't know offhand, but it's a whole lot. I can tell you right now, all those thoughts ain't godly thoughts. Some of them are straight demonic, straight from demons trying to infiltrate, from Satan trying to infiltrate. Some of them are just from your own nasty flesh and my own nasty flesh. (laughs) And some are from the Lord. You and I have to discern what voice is talking to us and when so we can either accept it or rebuke it right amen and that's why we need to know the word of god because at any moment because of the lord's grace for the most part i'm able to recognize when it's the lord speaking to me when it's my flesh or my mind and when it's a demonic spirit or a demonic thought and i have the word of god hidden in my heart Enough to where I'm readily able to just knock those thoughts out like that. Perfect love casts out all fear. Works all the time. He who lives in me is greater than he who lives in the world. Works all the time. I teach these to my kids. It's something, it's not a religious thing. It's something we do every night before we go to bed after we pray and read. Because they need to have the word of God implanted in them. Just like you and I have to have the word of God implanted in us. To where we don't even need to turn to the pages of scripture to recite scripture. And it's not even necessarily about the address, but it is about the content. It's definitely about the content. You have to know it. You have to believe it because that is your ammo. That is your spiritual sword to chop down any demon, any unclean thought, any satanic thought that tries to come into your mind. It's so important. It's so important, church. You see, the reality is it wasn't that the children of Israel were not intelligent. They were not dumb people. They were not dumb. They were intelligent. They had an intellect. They had a capacity to to consume information and understand and comprehend. It was simply that they were not listening to God. That not listening gets us, gets me into a whole lot of trouble. (laughs) Because God is like, don't go that way, don't go that way, don't go that way. And we're like, blah, 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 I'm I'm so enamored. Remember, we talked about this last week, little shiny. Whatever that thing is in your life that that the devil tries to get you off track with, it could be an ATV, it could be shoes, it could be your stocks, it could be be your family. Whatever it is that gets you off track, if if we don't have those things compartmentalized in their right place, 
we are not going to be effective when the enemy is trying to lure us away off track. You see, the remnant were so off track that the Lord had to get their attention through withholding things from them. That's why the scripture talks about all these things. Their crops were not, were, they were not yielding what they thought they were going to harvest. They had holes in their pockets. What they would save would just fall out. Uh, uh, the rain from the sky did not come down because, because they were on the wrong track. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 32 through 36 tells us, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction. We just talked about that. And be wise and do not neglect it. This is great. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. I mean, that is, that is very encouraging on one hand. <laughs> and that is very convicting and scary and fearful if you're not paying attention. He says right there, he says, man, if you find him and you listen to instruction, you're going to be wise. You're going to obtain favor from the Lord. Who doesn't want favor from God? I mean, I want all that. Give me all the favor I can. Give me more favor than I can handle. I want favor in everything I do. It's like. I won't, even, I won't even burn a biscuit. <laughs> you don't want that kind of favor, right? But he says if, if we fail to take heed to his instruction, he says we injure ourselves. <laughs> we injure ourselves. See, many times we blame Satan and it's us. It's us. It's us being foolish. It's not even Satan. Satan's like, ah, this, cat's already, this cat's not even on par. He's checking himself out. I don't even need to mess with them. His disobedience is doing him in. He says... Whoever, they fail, they injure themselves, fail to find him. And it says that we, we don't love him, that, that we love death. It says that we actually hate God. If we don't respond to his instruction, he says we hate him. That's how serious God is about his instruction. And his instruction is the whole Bible. It's all about instruction. You see, and that's why people get offended. They're like, I don't want to be corrected. I don't like that. It makes me upset. It frustrates me. I mean, the word of God is super offensive. You're going to get offended. It's straight up. I'm telling you, I came in this this morning. It's been super convicting. Why? Because this week the Lord's been taking me to the woodshed saying, look, man, these are areas you better get straight. (laughs) It's not no besetting sin, but it's the reality that, you know what, there's areas in my life that have to get better. And I need to grow in. I need to grow in the Lord's grace in those areas. But it only comes by being obedient. You see? But he tells us this. And so I share this with you to encourage you. (laughs) You know, you have the right heart about it. You will be encouraged. It may make you feel uncomfortable. That's okay. It's still to encourage you. Because he's trying to save you and I from hating him and loving death. The second main point is this. The correction from God should instill in us a reverent fear of him. It was, you see, it was only after all sorts of consequences uh, fell upon the remnant of Israel that they responded to the Lord. There was a drought. The crops, we just talked about this. They didn't yield what they expected. They saved on all of their funds, and it was like they had a purse or a bag with a hole in it. But the good thing about all this, there's something good in this, right? You've got to get this. It seems doom and gloom, but there's some good in all this. The good thing is the way they responded to the correction after this happened. The way that the remnant responded. You see, they humbled themselves, they repented, and then the fear of the Lord was restored to them. Having a reverent fear of God is so important in your life and mine. Like a reverence for Him. Like, man, Lord, I'm not going to go into that crack house because I know that that's so not okay. I'm not going to click on that website because I know that that's so not good. I'm not going to go there with that individual and engage in that kind of behavior because I have a reverent fear of what God is going to do and how he thinks of me if I'm going contrary to what he tells me to do. That's a rev- that reverent fear will keep you from all kind of sin. 
It will keep you from doing the wrong thing. It will keep you from cheating, from lying, from stealing, from conniving, from engaging in lifestyle behavior that is contrary to the word of God. The reverent fear of God will keep you from those things. This is why the Lord wanted the children of Israel to consider their ways so they could get back on the correct road. Just like how a parent corrects a child, the child's response should be to respect their parents. The Bible is clear. If you honor your parents, in theory, you're supposed to have a long life. I know that things happen and, and, and beautiful young children, unfortunately, pass on you know, at a young age. But again, Proverbs is all about like theoretically how it should be without sin in the world. If you honor your parents, you're going to be old and gray for a whole long time. You're going to live a nice, long, healthy, fruitful life because you learn that reverence and respect. And when you have reverence and respect for your parents, you're actually showing reverence and respect for God because God put your parents over you to steward you and to be responsible for you. And so that's why we honor and respect our parents because God said so, because it's a way of showing our reverence and respect to him. You see, the child should also understand that their parent is looking out for their well-being because they love them, even though they don't appreciate the correction in the moment. We've all been there. Parent corrects us. We don't like it. Got something taken away. Got grounded. Got, can't go to that trip. <laughs> Whatever it is. Got something taken away. Can't stand it. Maybe 20 years later, we come to understand, man, now I get it. Now I understand why my parents were the way they were. If you had parents like that, you know, if not, hopefully there was some some parental figure in your life at some portion of you, part of you growing up and, and they would put the clamps down on you and say, hold up, pump your brakes. You're going the wrong way. And when you continue to rebel, they said, nope, got to strip you of this because it's correction again, instruction. Right. This is a theme here. We're seeing instruction, correction. This is what God is all about. Obviously, he loves us. And that's, that's where you can't separate the two. Love comes many times in the form of correction and instruction from God. See, this false gospel that's being preached, these warm fuzzies, that's not what it's about. Because many times it's grueling and it's hard and it's difficult and it's heartache. <laughs> because it shows that, like, you know, sometimes sin has a, has a grasp on us more than we would like to believe. And that's why it's so difficult getting, getting stripped from things. And saying no to that and saying yes to God because there's, there's, a, there's a stronghold in our lives, a spiritual stronghold that, that's not. You understand the, the, these, these demonic things don't want to give up. They don't want to give up on people because they, they want to have a host. I'm, I understand believers cannot, be, uh, cannot, be, cannot have an unclean spirit within them. But you and I can definitely be tormented by unclean spirits. And if we're lacking in our relationship with Jesus, that's making those demonic spirits stronger. But the minute we turn back to Christ and get serious about our relationship, those demons have to go away and they flee and they run. Praise God for that. You see, that, that is the importance, again, of heeding correction and being close to him. The third main point is this. The love of God should encourage us to do good works for him. This is evident in verse 14. The spirit of the Lord had stirred up the heart of the governor, the high priest, and all the people. Not merely just an emotional response, but to move on their convictions and to do something about it. To respond to the call upon their lives, to take part and rebuild the temple. This is the response that God is looking for in us today as well. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 22 and 24 tell us, Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner and life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, this is the kind of life that Jesus Christ produces in those who recognize their sin, who repent of it, and who submit to him. Those who recognize the genuine love that Jesus Christ has for them, you see, this is a life that has become set apart to bring honor and glory to God through good works. And that's what he wants for you and for me. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and look at these first few verses, seven down through 11. And it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring the wood and build the house. 
that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruin while each of you busied himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew and the earth was withheld of its product. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine and the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Okay, so we see this first phrase again, (laughs) consider your ways. It's like you can't get away from it. I mean, he mentions it multiple times in this passage. This is such an important statement. You see, the Lord wanted them to consider what they were doing and how they were living. Was it good? Were they living good? Were they living bad? Were they living selfless? So they were giving of themselves, right, for the cause of the Lord? Or were they living selfishly, where it's like, I've got my tentacles out and I'm really just trying to take from every single person and thing around me so I can consume it and give it to whatever I want. They, he, he wanted them to consider. You see, the reality is this. Many, many people never stop and consider their ways. They simply live life unaware of the road they're on. They're just living. You know, I know you've heard it before. I'm just living. How you? I'm just living. I'm, I'm just doing my thing, dog. I'm just doing my thing, bro. We out here, you know. We getting it. I'm just living my life. You know, I'm doing what I got to do. I'm hustling, dog. Got to make that money. You know, don't even consider their ways. They're just out here. For many, once they realize that they're on the road to destruction, it's too late. When they do reflect, it's like, man, all this gone on. You weren't aware of it because you didn't reflect. You didn't take the time. To, to, to do your checks and balances and see, where am I in relation to God? You see, if we don't have a benchmark, and we do have a benchmark, praise God. The standard's Christ. <laughs> the standard is Christ. The standard is his teachings, his principles, everything he's about. So that when we look, we got to look to him. Don't judge yourself on how your neighbor's living. Because that's either going to mess you up or it's going to puff, puff you up. You can be like, I ain't as bad as this dude. Oh, I'm good. I'm good in God's sight because, yeah, that cat, man, you sour, bro. You are not right. And then if we look to the, to the other side, we're like, man, I don't measure up. Man, the kids, they never have a booger in their nose. They always have their shoes tied. They look clean. They're, they're, I mean, you know what I mean? The, the slacks, they got, man, they, you know, they look good. They never smell. They're not stinky. They're never late. And then you're all messed up on that end, you see. So we don't want to gauge ourselves by people. <laughs> the standard has to be Christ, right? So then we're like, okay, we can work with something now because now you know what you're aiming for to be like, right? What did Paul say? Copy, imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. He imitates him. Why? Because he's the standard. That's who we are to be imitating. That's who we are to be imitating. The application is this. You and I must take account of how we are living on a daily basis. This is what the Bible means by walking circumspectly. This is what the Bible means by keeping short accounts with the Lord. Is that daily, you and I assess. For some of you, maybe it's like you have a journal. You know, it may sound corny, but for some people, that kind of stuff really works. Having a journal and you log in entries and you're like, whatever, blah, 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 Sunday, da, 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 da. And you, you make a, you have start, keep a chronological log of your life. For some people that doesn't work, but either way, what you find, what works for you, but reflection on a daily basis is so important. It's so important. It shows that we care about what we're doing. It cares. It shows about, we care about how we're living. When you reflect, when you don't reflect, it's just like, I really don't care. It's like, it's like if my son, you know, he's into yo-yos now, right? And, 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 and I, was, I was busy trying to do something yesterday. And he's like, Dad, Dad, let me show you this trick. And in my flesh, I'm like, hold on, Kalos. <laughs> hold on, bro. <laughs> I'm doing something. <laughs> I'll look at you in a minute. But then the Lord convicted me. He's like, stop and watch your son. I should be grateful that my son even want to come up to me and say, Dad, 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 super excited. Ah, I want to show you this. I know how to walk the dog. And then I was like, watch. I'm like, all right, Kalos, that's cool, man. That's good, right? But, but that's the whole thing. 
It's the same thing. Stopping, reflecting, looking, taking the time with my son. And, and, and it may not come out in anything else, but I know that that meant the world to him in that moment. Because if I don't stop and take the time and, and acknowledge the things that he's happy about, he's going to go look for somewhere else and someone else to gratify him in that area when it should have came from me. And the same thing with you and I when we reflect upon our lives daily with the Lord. <laughs> It's important. These things may seem insignificant, but they all add up at the end of your life. How do you live a faithful life? You don't just live a faithful life when you just go before the Lord and say, accept me. I I got baptized in water. I believe in you. He's going to be like, I mean, I don't know. He could be like, come in, enter my place of rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm not saying that bedside uh, confessions are not real and people don't, don't get saved before they die like that. But what I'm saying is, When you have the opportunity to walk daily with the Lord, it's those daily steps, it's those millions of steps, those millions of choices that we make throughout our lifetime, that's what adds up to the lump sum of a faithful Christian. Someone who really lived a life that honored God through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because let's face it, sometimes our walks are grimy, right? Sometimes your walk is grimy. There's seasons of your life where your walk is grimy, and if you say it's not real, you're not real. (laughs) I'll I'll call you out right now. Because there's parts of my walk that are straight grimy. And it's like, man, not to say that I'm not saved, but it's to say, man, this, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's not, it's not what it looks like on the poster. But that's not, that's not real anyways. It's what's in the word. All right. He says, go up to the mountains and bring wood. This is, this is the instruction. It was crystal clear. <laughs> he, he said, go up to the mountains, <laughs> retrieve the wood, you strong men. <laughs> Use your, your physical strength and your mental ingenuity. Figure out a way to get that wood down here and build my house. God called him to work. God called him straight to work. Remember, you're going to earn your keep by what? The sweat of your brow. You know, I'm up here sweating because I don't know, it's hot in here. I thought I put the, I thought I, I don't know, somebody turned that thermostat down. I thought I put it on. I thought I put the, whatever, the, the cool on. But man, I'm burning up. But either way. Right? How are you going to earn your keep? By the sweat from your brow. He said, I'm going to send you to work. Sometimes God causes the need for work. Work that's supported by prayer, supported by fasting. Not work that's neglected by some false made-up spiritual service. Right? Again, and I'm not bashing on the Pharisees, but you know, we can dress the part and look the part and say the Christianese words. But it's like, we're not really doing anything. We're just putting on a show. <laughs> just putting on a show, trying to be, trying to be somebody. And, and he's like, no, he's like, sometimes you really just need to work. It's a grind. The Christian walk is a grind. You need to grind it out. Like people are out there grinding it, uh, hustling, selling drugs and doing all kind of stuff like that. You need, you and I need to grind it out for the Lord working hard in the griminess of life. We are, we got our both hands to the plow we're not looking back like Lot's wife, going to get turned to a pillow of salt. <laughs> what did Jesus say? You're not fit for my kingdom if you got one hand to the plow. Man, you better have both hands on there, you know? <laughs> RTV in it like Keith, you know? You got both hands on and you're going. You're going for it. I'm going for it. The application is this. They weren't supposed to think someone else will do it. Well, someone else will do it. Some other church will do it. We don't got to do it. I mean, Christ Communities over there, they got all kind of money. They got all kind of people. They'll do it. You know, they got Milpitas locked up. No. You're not supposed to think like that. I'm not supposed to think like that. We're not supposed to think, I don't need to be bothered. I got too much on my plate, Lord. I got too much. I can't handle it, Lord. You can't call me to just help somebody else. No, if your house ain't in order, I get it. Get your house in order. Because now you're going to be a disservice to the Lord and to other people. Can't be having people running Bible studies and the house ain't even in order. I'm not saying that. There's an order to everything. But God will do the work through us, but he wants our participation, church. As far as we can understand, God often will wait for our participation before he does anything. So the Bible talks about being his hands and his feet. He can do whatever he wants to do, but he loves working through us. He loves partnering with us. Right. He loves to do the work in and through us to be a blessing to those around us. A quote from William Carey. This is great. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things and attempt it. See, many times we expect great things, 
but we don't do anything. <laughs> That's insanity. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, but expecting a different result. You and I can expect great things from the Lord, but we're not doing anything. And I'm not saying being a busybody and just doing stuff to do it. But what I'm saying is the Lord gives you and I a clear direction and a vision. We need to pray about it and go forth with it and expect him to do great things. Amen. He goes on and says that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. It was time for God's people to start being concerned with pleasing him instead of pleasing themselves. You see, in their nice houses and prosperous lives, they took pleasure and were glorified. But now it was the Lord's turn to be glorified. God was also telling them to do it, but to do it with the right kind of heart. A heart that wanted to please and glorify God. I have a question for us this morning. Today, are we serving God and others with the right kind of heart? What is our attitude when we go about serving one another? Do we serve one another begrudgingly? Or do we serve one another in a manner where we're like, yes, I'm, I'm pleased to serve you. And I find this very challenging in marriage. <laughs> I'm just being real. You know, there's many times we do stuff and it's like, honey, take our, honey, take the, and it's like, oh. <laughs> what? Did you just grunt? Man, don't grumble. You know how much I do and I, and, and I get it. But that's the thing, right? That's what the Lord's talking about. When we do things, do we do things with a good heart? Or are we, it's like, man, couldn't be bothered to do it. It's like, leave me be. That's not cool. We need to have the right heart when we do things for the Lord. Amen. Okay, he goes on and says, You looked for much, but indeed <laughs> it came to little. You see, the reality is this. When God is neglected in our lives, nothing works out right. When he's neglected straight up, nothing works out right. You see, they were able to accomplish some things, like they built their own houses, but it didn't bring them the satisfaction that it should have brought. And the same is true in our lives. If we honor the Lord Jesus Christ and do his will, we will be fulfilled. If we live for him, if we honor him, if we make right choices, if we live a righteous life after Christ, we will be fulfilled. If we don't, we will long for more, but we'll still be left empty. We're always going to be chasing after that other thing, that other relationship, that other item, that other experience. You know, oh, I got to go skydiving. I got to do this. I got to go to the blah, blah, blah. I got to, you know, and you're never satisfied. It's momentarily, and, and, and for a moment it's good, but the luster wears off. Why? Because we're not putting God first. Luke chapter 2, verse 49 tells us, And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? This is Jesus as a youngster speaking to Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You see, you and I must be about our father's business. Being about God's business fulfills us. When we're not about his business, we can do everything else and we'll never be fulfilled. Next, he goes on and says, I called for a drought on the land. Now, we could imagine that the people of God were depressed and discouraged because of this drought. I mean, when it ain't no, I mean, look at us. <laughs> All right, when it don't rain, it's no good. It, them hills are looking good. I know, Lou, I guess these hills are supposed to be yellow, but it still looks good when they're green. <laughs> but it's because it's been raining for the last several days, right? Could you imagine the remnant? They're going through it. They're stressed out. They're like, the, the sky's not giving us any rain. They probably thought it was an attack of Satan, and they prayed fervently and said that it was Satan's plot. Yet, it wasn't Satan at all. It was the Lord who called for the drought on the land. God called this. You see, the problem wasn't Satan. The problem was their priorities. Their priorities were out of whack. The application is this. We must maintain our conscious connection to the Lord and His commands to us, or we will begin to slip away and we will start feeding our flesh. You see, when we keep a close connection, when we got that 5G connection with God, we differentiate between the flesh and the spirit. When we're not feeding the spirit, we're giving way to the flesh. And let me tell you, you, you know, because you're wise people, saints, Satan loves open doors. Satan loves a cracked door. <laughs> Satan will muscle his way through a cracked door in your life 
and try to destroy you and me. Close those doors, bolt them shut, deadbolt them shut, and feed the flesh. Amen? He goes on and, and, and says, a lack of grain and new wine and oil. You see, because they neglected the Lord, the Lord neglected to bless their three basic crops. The application is simply this. If we honor God and live to do his will, he will provide our most basic needs. Everything you and I need. I don't know. I know everyone has stories. And I know in my own life, I don't know how many times it's like, it shouldn't work out on paper. The Lord always comes through. <laughs> we always have everything we need over and over and over and over again, time and time again. That's living by faith and not living by sight. That's not living by some mathematical equation. Are we going to? And it's not to say neglect your finances and just say God will provide. Yes, you and I should be good stewards. We should know. Know what you owe. Pay off what you got to pay off. Don't live in debt. Like, I'm talking about, you know, serious debt. Get Do what you got to do to get out of it. We should manage our, our finances well. But God will provide everything you need if you honor him with how you're supposed to live. You see? But if we live in direct disobedience to him, even if we have in what seems to be an over and abundance of material things, we'll never be satisfied by those things. And many times those things at some point in time are going to be stripped away from us. You see, that's how sin comes in. Sin pro- promises... Uh, and always under delivers. You may get away with it for the first month. You may get away for it for the first year. You may get away with it for the first 20 years. But at some some point in time, truth be told, you're going to reap what you sow. And best be sure, sin will find you out. Amen? It will. It's found me out many a times. Too many that I'd like to admit. But it's the truth. So I'm like, I ain't going that way. (laughs) I'm not dealing with that because that's that's a horrible lifestyle to live. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. 12, so I can wrap it up. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, finally got it right, Daniel, or somewhat, close enough. And Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the, king, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared God. Okay, so this is what, so, well, this is what was so convicting to me in, in any sphere of life, whether you're, um, you know, uh, you know, the parent in your home, um, your, you know, boss at your work, you manage, a- a- anything, e- even in your sphere of influence. Maybe you're someone who people come to and they speak to. You know, you find, why are people always coming to me and asking my opinion? Because you have influence, because you have some leadership qualities. The reality of what happened here is this. Obedience had to begin with the leadership. It had to begin with the leadership. This wasn't a sermon just for the people, but it was also for the highest leaders amongst God's people. Again, this is extremely, and it should be extremely convicting to any person blessed with the responsibility of leadership. Because if any leader is not willing to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and to serve as everyone else serves, meaning like what I, I, I always say it, if the pastor ain't willing to clean the toilet, sweep outside, do whatever, you know, go and do all that stuff that, you know, some people think that's a menial task, then they're not fit to be God's person. They're not. If, 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 if a pastor is not willing to be corrected, if there's some kind of error or whether it's, a, you, know, you know, something that they said or, or something was out of context and someone comes up and it's valid and the person's not willing to be corrected, they're not, willing, they're not fit to be God's man. They're not. I'm sorry. Because you need to be, I need to be pliable, moldable, shapeable, right? That's how it is. That's the reality. You guys remember, remember the Titans, right? Me and Daniel were talking about earlier. Great, great, great quote. Gary and Julius, they're going back and forth. And, and Gary tells them, man, that's, that's the worst attitude I've ever heard. And then Julius responds, attitude reflects leadership captain you know the way that the, the the way that the team the countenance of the team had everything to do with the leadership of the team you know you look at uh, your workplace the people that are on top the people that are supposed to be the leaders how they act and how they respond to things that's a direct reflection or the, the people i should say the common folk 
their attitude, their countenance is a direct reflection of what the leadership's doing. I heard it said to me a long time ago, and I've never forgot it, and sometimes it creeps the heck out of me when I come in here. But they say, you want to know about a person's marriage? You want to know how a marriage is going? Look at the wife. Look at the countenance of the wife when she comes in, and I can guarantee you, you can figure out some things about the marriage. And I'm like, man, <laughs> I don't, don't tell Veronica. <laughs> but you know, Sometimes it's like, man, Pastor Keefing in hot water. He's in a doghouse because a wifey coming in and not looking too happy. But, that, but again, leadership. If the leadership is faulty, everything else under the leadership is not going to be good. Okay? That's the reality. A good or bad attitude comes from the top down. The countenance of the common people is a direct reflection of the quality of leadership that they're under. This is exactly what's going on in our text here. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 through 27 tells us, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. (laughs) Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. (laughs) Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, so that's, that's just... We need to take account of that when we think about things. People want to be in certain positions, and it's like, man, do you understand what that means? Do you understand what that means to be married? Love your wife like Christ loves the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave his life. He gave his life. Everything, his being was for her. So the next time you're like, I want to turn on that football game. I want to go shoot pool. Uh, You should be putting your wife's. Before your own. And then if she's like, it's all good, then you could go. How about that? How about that? How about them apples? Man, that ain't too appealing now, is it? That's a whole lot of dying to yourself. If you're a selfish person like me, you're going to go through it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just keeping it real. It's just the reality of it. But no, marriage is great. I mean, it's such a blessing. It, 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 it makes you a better person. makes you more holy. <laughs> because you become more like Christ. Because you become a selfless person instead of a selfish person. All right, the voice of the Lord and their God, the words of Haggai the prophet. Basically, all this is saying is the voice of the Lord was expressed through Haggai, okay? This principle is the inspiration of Scripture in action. God literally spoke, but it was the man who said it, okay? Haggai was basically the mouthpiece of God. That's for any prophet that's in the Bible. God spoke through the prophets, But this is where critics of the Bible have an issue. They claim the Bible is not inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is clear. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 tells us, And without faith, it is what? Impossible to please Him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So it's not that God is silent. It's that those who have rejected faith are not seeking Him. And that's why they become critics. Because they've rejected faith. And so they're not hearing by faith, and so they just, they don't seek him. The word of God does not change from the prophet, the words of the prophet, as though the prophet had anything to add. The prophet is just showing what the Lord is showing them, and that's it. If the prophet is doing something else, now you got a false prophet. (laughs) Now you got somebody contorting and distorting the word of God into something that it was never meant to be, and that's totally off base. Okay. Um, again, it says the word of the Lord came to Haggai and, and, the, and God sent him. Um, their respect for Haggai was based on his office. He was, the, he was a prophet and his commission, God had sent him. That's again why some people want to be in certain positions that God has to send you. You know what I mean? God has to send you. If you're, if you're a stay-at-home mom, God sent you to be that. Be the best stay-at-home mom that you could be. If you're, if you're a CEO of a company, God sent you to be that CEO of a company. Be the best CEO you can be. But you see, we can't muscle and bully our way into position. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You have to be ordained to do certain things. Now, you can go outside of God's will and do stuff, but it's never going to work out. Then you got people doing all kind of weird, nasty stuff because they're not going by the precepts of the Holy Spirit. They're doing what they want to do. Again, the people feared the presence of the Lord. The application is this. The fear of the Lord promoted obedience. It was more about basic respect. It was more than, excuse me, it was more than basic respect. This was the recognition that God is judge who deals with us righteously. This should always be the case in how we respond to the Lord's correction. That is if we want to live wisely. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 says... 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does not and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, you want to build your house on the rock, not on the sand. We all know the principle here. Okay, the last two verses as I'll close. Um, then Haggai, this is uh, 13 and 15. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the, Lord, with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the, uh, the high priest, excuse me, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. That's the climax right there. On the 24th day of the month in the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Okay, this phrase, I am with you, says the Lord. God was there to encourage them. You see, in all of this, in the correction, in the instruction, in the rebuke, it was all for their good so that they could be corrected and the Lord could reveal that I am with you. That's why you're getting this correction. That's why you're getting this conviction. That's why you're getting this rebuke because I'm helping you. Okay? God was there to encourage them and to strengthen them for their work. He always empowers and encourages us to do what he commands. As I, as I read this last portion of scripture, I'll close. Michelle and Isaiah can come up in a few moments. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to give their fathers uh, to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but it shall... But you shall meditate upon it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. For some of y'all today, that's all you need to hear. God is with you. Forget all the chit-chatter, whatever else is going on in your life. God is with you. Remember that. He said, be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. But what does he say? Don't let the principles of this word depart from you. That means you have to stay anchored on God's word. You stay anchored on God's word, everything's going to work out. You walk away from God's word, your life is going to fall apart. <laughs> that's it. Again, we end with the same way we end most every Sunday. Life and death. He offers life. Choose life. Today, you and I choose life. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I just thank you that you love us enough to take the time to correct us. Lord, you show how much you love us. Even you sending your son, Jesus, Jesus Christ, that's that's that in, in him is correction. You saw that everything was broken and messed up. We were all headed for hell. And you gave your son to correct the brokenness of sin in the lives of men and women for all of humanity. Lord, thank you that we could know you through correction. It's such an important aspect of life. May we value correction, biblical correction. May we not let that fall to the wayside in a day and age where people say this is archaic and this is something that happened 2,000 years ago and we don't need to live by these principles anymore. No, yes we do. The state of the world is in the state it's in because many people have forsaken you. You're calling your remnant back to rebuild your temple. For us, that is rebuilding lives and people through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be about your business. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.